Good evening. Good to be with you once again this evening. And would you turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to pick up where we left off this morning and begin reading at verse number 18. I want to try to do something a little bit different tonight than I did in the, the last time I was here on a Sunday night. I remember when I came in that Graham had actually told me, uh, you know, back in March when I first started coming uh, on some Sundays here, that Sunday night was meant to be a more casual, relaxed evening. So there in the back there by the sound desk, I made sure to take off my tie. Okay, so <laughs> just to relax and make it a bit informal. Then the other thing I've done is made sure that I put in my notes here opportunities for you guys to ask questions to remind myself so that I don't just preach again but uh, open up to questions or or even your own comments maybe God will bring something to your mind uh, that you want to share in, in uh, regards to what we'll be speaking about tonight but first of all I want to begin by reading this text Romans chapter 8 and we're going to read starting at verse number 18 through the end of the chapter <clears throat> I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But what hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Let's just take a moment and acknowledge the Lord in prayer. (coughs) Dear God, we thank You for the opportunity to once again turn our attention to Your Word. And as we do so, Father, we ask for Your blessings and Your help tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would be with me and help me to declare the truth of your word in a very clear and understandable way. I pray for your anointing, dear God, on the things that I would say here tonight. So use my mind and my voice and my body to your honor and glory. Also pray for everyone who is here that you would prepare their hearts, dear God, to hear from you. And Lord, may we not just be hearers of the word, but may it really go deep into our hearts and change the way we think and feel and fill us with the hope that this promise gives us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's what I want to speak to you about tonight. Our hope in difficult times. Everybody's life we have moments of difficulty. Moments of pain and disappointment. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot navigate through life and avoid all difficulty. It will come upon us. Even as Christians, this will happen. The scripture says that the days of man are short and full of trouble. And the older I get, the more I realize how true that is. You go so quickly from being a little child to a grandfather, a great-grandfather. Life is very short. And as you think about all your life, there's many times of disappointment and pain. Salvation or giving a heart to God doesn't make us exempt from that. I'm troubled sometimes when I hear people preaching, particularly on television, and they make it sound like if you would give your heart to the Lord and become a Christian, then your life would just free of all trouble and all pain. That's just not true. Sometimes our faith will cause some problems for us in this world. And there will be times when it will seem like our prayers haven't been answered. At least not in the way that we expect it. We'll pray for things and ask God to bless in a certain way and then it will not turn out the way that we had hoped. And at those moments, we may be tempted to feel despair and tempted to feel like praying doesn't make any difference at all. And if we're not careful, we'll be tempted tempted to lose hope and to fall into despair. At times like this, when you're going through a difficult time, I think we have a very fundamental choice to make. And that is a choice to either hold on to the promises of God. And believe that he will do what he promised to do or to doubt that he will do what he says that he will do. Romans 8.28 contains one of the best promises in all of scripture. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. This is a promise from God. He promises this. And this is what we want to look at tonight. How this promise can be our hope in difficult times. There are five aspects to this promise. And we'll look at each of these very quickly. One, this is a certain promise. Two, this is a comprehensive promise. Three, this is a cooperative promise. Four, this is a clear promise. And five, this is a conditional promise. So let's look at the first aspect of this promise. This is a certain promise. It is certain because it is a promise of which we can be assured. 
it is absolutely certain that God will do what he says he will do. That this promise will be true in our life. Look at the beginning of that verse. It says, and we know. This ideal of knowing is the difference between a hope and a wish. A hope is an enduring optimism that whatever you desire will eventually happen. Hope is a deep-seated confidence residing in the very core of your being that things will work out or things will improve. That whatever you desire will eventually happen in your life. And that makes hope very different than a wish. A wish has a great deal of uncertainty. And I think I used this illustration before about how often a tradition is to put candles on a birthday cake and to make a wish and then blow it out. When we do that, we don't know if that will happen or not. You know, it's a great deal of uncertainty. That's not what hope is. Hope is something that you are certain of. And that's the first aspect of this promise. It is a certain promise. You can take it to the bank. We should have no doubt, no concerns, no reservations about it. It's a certain promise. But how can we be certain? How can we know that something we desire will eventually happen? How can you have that kind of hope? Well, it depends on what you base your hope on. <coughs> to have this kind of certain hope, you have to put your faith in something that is sure and certain. And that's why as Christians, our hope can't be in our own will. It can't be in our own desires. It has to be grounded in God's will. Has to be, our faith has to be based on Him because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We put our hope in the fact that God loves us and that He is always looking out for our best interest. That He always has our best interest at heart. That He would never fail us. He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. If you put your hope in an individual, even someone you greatly respect and admire, someone that you love, there's a chance they could let you down. We've all experienced that and we've all let other people down. No matter how hard we may try, how much we may not want to do that because we are human beings. So we can't put our hope in that. I remember reading in the news uh, several years ago about an individual who had worked for an oil company in Texas for 30, 35 years. And he had accumulated in his retirement account about $800,000. And he thought he'd have this money to retire on. But the company went belly up just before his retirement and he lost everything and I thought about how devastating that would be to have seen his statements come through the mail every year and to see the numbers going up and to think about his plans and what he's going to do and how hard he was working and then get there and it had all evaporated evaporated just terrible if that man's hope was in his job or in his savings, or in himself, then his hope could be disappointed. But when our hope is in God, nothing ever can come in the way of that. God will never fail us. He will never forsake us. He will never let us down. Our hope must be in God. He is sure and He is certain. We can be certain that God always keeps His promise. So as you look at verse 28, and the promise we're considering, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That's a promise that is absolutely certain. There's no doubt about it. Any questions or comments on that idea or that aspect of it? That this is a promise that is certain. Do you receive that this evening? Do you believe that? No doubt about it. 
Okay, we can move on to the next one. <laughs> Here's the second aspect of this promise. It is a comprehensive promise. What we mean by comprehensive is that it covers everything. The text says that in all things, God is working for our good. Emphasis on all things. It's not that God is working for our good only in the spiritual matters. Only in the things that relates directly to church. He's working for our good in every aspect of our life. There's no situation, no circumstance or area of our life that is outside of God's jurisdiction. You know, often as Christians, I'm afraid that we put too much of a divide between the sacred and the secular. And some people live their lives like that. My church life and the things that relate to church and God and then the rest of my life. That's not the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. He wants to be involved and he must be involved in every aspect of our life. That means God is involved in who we choose to marry, who we choose to date, our entertainment choices, our friends, our income, our job, our family, our home, how we decorate it, what kind of home we live in, where we go on vacation, holiday, everything. We talked about this morning how God even wants to be the Lord of your thoughts. <laughs> what would you think in your mind? He's involved in every aspect of our life. And that's why this is a comprehensive promise. We may feel sometimes like this is too small. For God to be involved in. This is too insignificant for me to take to him. But God wants to know about your diet. If you're struggling. God wants to know. And I think my battery just died. Or the sound just went out. Whatever it is that's going on in our life. God is concerned about it. It's a comprehensive promise. He works on our behalf. In every aspect. God is involved. In our physical life. Our emotional health. Our spiritual health. Our relationships, our finances. So whatever that's happening in your life, this is a promise that applies to that. In every situation we face, every event that happens to us in our life, God is at work. And he promises to use it to bring about good in our life. There's nothing you're dealing with. No matter how big or how small. No matter what it's related to, your health, your finances, relationships, your emotions, your physical health, whatever, that God is not involved in. And He promises that He will work it out for your good. Amen? Do you receive that tonight? Again, any questions or comments on that? Do we believe that? There's nothing. It's a comprehensive promise. It covers everything. Here's the third aspect. It's a cooperative promise. The text says, God works. What this means is that we are not alone. As we go through the various circumstances and situations of our life, we're living it. We're experiencing it. So we're definitely involved. But because God is at work, He's involved as well. And that's why it's called a comprehensive promise. Because in every situation we find ourselves, God is very much with us in it and at work on our behalf. He is not absent from our struggles, our pain, and our grief. God is active in everything that happens to us. Behind the scenes, as it were, working things out for our good. I'm reminded of the story of the three Hebrew boys. Uh, maybe you remember them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> But they were thrown into the fiery furnace because the king had made this huge statue and said everybody must bow. And anybody that didn't bow and worship this statue was going to be thrown into a fire. 
he was so upset with these three boys that he told them to make the fire seven times harder than it normally was. It was so hot that the people who carried them to the furnace to throw them in were burned and killed themselves. But as they were thrown into that fire, the king noticed something. They weren't screaming out. They weren't crying. They didn't burn up and evaporate or disintegrate. They were walking around. They went in bound. And the only thing, the, only thing the fire had impact on was their, their bounds, their, the, the, the ropes that held them. Those were burned off and they were free to walk around. But then the king noticed something else. He said, I see a fourth man. That fourth man was the son of God. Right in their storm, right in their fiery test and trial, God was present with them, keeping them, protecting them. And it's the same with us. Whatever you're going through, and maybe nobody else knows about it. And maybe there may be human beings in your life who have forsaken you. People that you thought were going to be with you and suddenly they're not there anymore. Sometimes that can happen through death or sickness. And sometimes it happens through divorce, a family split up, or friends leave you or, or forsake you. And that can be very devastating. But what God promises, what this cooperative promise is all about, is that in every circumstance or situation, God is at work. He's right there with you. Sometimes we don't see Him. Sometimes we don't feel that He's there right at that moment. But nonetheless, He is there. We've got to keep trusting Him. There are many examples of this in Scripture, but one that came to my mind was the story of Joseph. And we all know the story. Joseph was one of 12 sons. He was his father's favorite. And his older brothers were jealous of him. And one day they grab him and they throw him into a pit to die. I mean, you're talking about a terrible thing happened to you. This wasn't, these weren't strangers or people that you know, were his enemies. This was his very own blood. His own brothers would actually want to see him dead. But a couple of the brothers, after they did that, had some second thoughts, you know, and thought, well, maybe we've gone too far. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. So they go back and they rescue him from the pit and they sell him into slavery. He becomes a slave in an Egyptian captain's house named Potiphar. He works very hard. He gains Potiphar's respect. So much so that Potiphar puts him in charge of everything that he has. My household, everything is yours. You're in complete control. Scripture says that Potiphar didn't even know what he had. That's the kind of control. Joseph literally had his checkbook, his bank book. He handled everything for him. The man trusted him. But there was one thing that he was not supposed to touch, and that was Potiphar's wife. But Potiphar's wife wasn't a good woman. Joseph was a young man, very handsome, good-looking guy. Potiphar's wife decided to try to seduce him. And when Joseph resisted, she made up this story that Joseph tried to sexually assault her. And that got him arrested and thrown into prison. So now he's gone from being the favorite son of his father, who was a very wealthy man, very privileged upbringing, to being a slave, to now being in prison. Maybe perhaps for the rest of his life. Things wasn't looking too good for him. One of the things that have always amazed me about Joseph's life is all that he went through. Why he didn't ever give up on God. It would have been so easy for him to say, God has forsaken me. God has forgotten me. 
And especially when Potiphar's wife comes, you know what he says? He doesn't say, oh, I can't do this because your husband might find out or I might get in trouble. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He was still honoring God. He was still concerned about what God thought, even in the midst of his trial. Even though from our appearance, it would have seemed like God had forgotten him or forsaken him. But one day, down in that prison, the king has a dream. And one of the people that had been in the prison with Joseph remembered that there was a man in prison who could interpret dreams. And he tells the king about him. And the king tells Joseph to come before him and he interprets the dream and and Potiphar I mean, and excuse me Pharaoh is so impressed with it that he promotes him to second in command over all of Egypt. He becomes the governor over Egypt. No one higher than him but Pharaoh himself. All that Joseph had went through as he was being thrown in the pit, sold into slavery, lied on, put into prison, it looked like God had forsaken him. But yet every step was getting him closer to his ultimate destiny. God was at work in each and every situation. The day Joseph woke up, normal young man, about 17 years old, happy, privileged family, father loves him, great life, everything is going well. One day he wakes up like that, and by the end of that day, he has been sold into slavery. That would have appeared to be the worst day of his life. But guess what? In retrospect, that was the best day of his life. Because that was the day that God was starting to put into effect the plan that he had for him to become the second in command of all of Egypt. When he was sold into slavery and he worked really hard to gain his master's trust and was put over everybody else, and then one day he gets lied upon, lied on, and thrown into prison, that evening as he lay in that prison cell, it must have felt like the worst day of his life. Like, God, how could you have let this happen to me? After all I've done trusting you, when I was a slave in Potiphar's house and working hard and doing a good thing and honoring you, and I even, I even didn't sin. I stood up for what was right. I could have just slept with her and I wouldn't be in prison, but I did what was right, and this is how I get paid. This is the consequence of me doing what's right. Now I'm in prison. Would have seemed like the worst day of his life, but in retrospect... It was the best day of his life because now he was a step closer to realizing his destiny in God. And then it finally happened when he gets called before Pharaoh and interprets that dream. The point I'm making in all of this is that God is at work. And maybe right now you're in the pit. Or maybe you are feel like you're a slave to your circumstance, to your situation, and you desperately want to be free of it. And you think about how it was bad before, but now it's worse now. God, this isn't getting better. This is getting worse. But just like Joseph, it may seem to be getting worse in your life, but actually everything that's happening is bringing you one step closer to realizing your full potential, realizing your true destiny in God. Even the bad things that happen in our life, God can use them to bring about good in our life. Here's what Joseph said. At the, at, toward the end of this story, Jacob, Joseph's father, dies. And after he dies, his, uh, Joseph's brothers are concerned. Okay, he was nice to us, 
while our dad was alive, even though we deserve to really be punished. And he's got the power to do it. Joseph could have had them thrown into prison. He could have had them killed. He could have did all kinds of things to them because he had that power. And they were afraid that now that dad's off the scene, we're really going to get what's coming to us. But Joseph's attitude towards his brothers, in fact, he was disappointed and hurt that they would think that way, that they would think now that he was, the dad, their father was gone, he would try to get back at them. And this is what he says in Genesis 50 and 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. There may be something in your life tonight that others are doing to you for evil. They're trying to hurt you. They're trying to get back at you. They're trying to you know, hinder you in some way. But yet God means that very same thing for good. Maybe you could be working in a job or recently you've been fired unjustly, unfairly. You worked hard, you did a good job, and you feel like you were terminated for no good reason. And that may be something very disappointing right now, but maybe God is freeing you up so that you will work somewhere else and do something else that will actually bring much more fulfillment and satisfaction in your life and help you to reach your true destiny in God. Maybe you, someone here, was engaged to be married and then you got left at the altar. <laughs> that would be devastating. That would be hurtful. And it may seem like, well, this person has done that to hurt me. But yet God can mean it for good. Maybe God could see what you couldn't see. Is that he was a no good rascal. And the best thing that ever happened was for him to leave you at the altar. <laughs> so that you would be with somebody else. There's all kinds of bad situations in our life that on the surface they look absolutely devastating. Like there's no good in it at all. But yet God can use that to do a lot of good in our lives and the lives of others. I'm a wi living witness to that. When my father died in 1996, it was one of the most devastating things to ever happen. It was so sudden, he was so young, we were so unprepared, and I could not understand for the life of me how this made sense that my dad would die at the, at the age of 48 years old. How, 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 what, what good is that? I thought about how my dad was someone who had never smoked, never drank, never used drugs, all of these things, and yet I knew other people who drank, smoked, abused their body in all kinds of ways, and they lived to be 70, 80 years old. Why did you take him? Why is it sometimes that good people die so young, and then the people who are evil and mean and do all kinds of bad things live to be so old? God, that doesn't make sense. That's not fair. And although at the time I couldn't see it, God had a plan in it. To a real extent, I wouldn't be standing here tonight sharing God's word with you if my father was still alive. It was his death that God used to really change my heart and began to motivate me to think about serving him in ministry. And I think about all of the lives that God has blessed my wife and I to touch and all the people who have come to the Lord and all the good things we've been able to do in the kingdom of God. And I tell people this all the time back home in Chicago, that one of the things I love about living in Scotland is I've never felt more useful in the kingdom of God than I do here. But it all came out of something that was bad. So if you're going through something difficult in your life right now, don't give up. Don't give in. Keep trusting God and know that although you can't see it right now, He has a purpose and He has a plan. And one day you'll be able to look back, as I can now, nearly 17 years later, about my dad's death and say, You know what? That was very painful. Didn't understand it then. But I can see the bigger picture today. 
In a real sense, what God did with my dad and I is he had him hand the baton off to me or the baton off to me and say, okay, son, you go. You finish the work that, I, that God has done to me. It's, it's your time. It's your turn now. And although my father was a great man of God and, and I love to hear him preach and teach, I don't ever remember him ever preaching outside of our local church, our home congregation. And yet God has used me to preach in different countries around the world. I've taken his influence and his messages and, and, and his spirit in a sense and been able to take that whole ministry much further. It seemed like something that was evil, something bad, but God has used it for good. And God will do the same thing in your life. Amen. Any questions or comments about that? This is a cooperative promise. God is cooperating with you, even when you don't see it. Here's the fourth aspect of this promise. It's a clear promise. What do I mean by that? This is a clear promise. Well, it's a clear promise because it's very clear what God promises to do. You know, sometimes just in human relationships, somebody can make a promise or say they're going to do something. And you walk away, you're not quite sure what it is they're going to do. <laughs> you know, I've had that with salespeople. Somebody come to your house and they're offering you something and saying, well, if you just pay this amount of money or whatever and, and we'll do this and that. And you say, what, what is it you're going to do now? You're not really sure about what it is they're promising to do. But with this, it's very clear. What God promises is to work for our good. Not to work for our bad or just see how things work out. I'm going to work and I'm not sure how it's going to turn out in the end. You know, like what would happen if I went in the kitchen and tried to cook any of you a meal. I could work very hard at it, but I wouldn't be sure how it was going to turn out. But with God, this promise is so clear. He will work for our good. If it's not good now, just wait. It will be good in the end. The scripture here that we looked at says, In all things, God works for the good. And it reminded me of a text that has become my life verse. I love this text and I'm reminded of it often. In Jeremiah 29 and 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you hope and a future. You know, just to make it in life, just from a natural sense, there's certain things that we got to know. You know, I, I can remember learning as a boy how you had to know your address. <laughs> you have to know your phone number. These are important things to be taught. So if you ever was lost or whatever, you could tell somebody. You have to know your name if they ask you. Whereas Christians, we have to know that this is how God feels about us. That he has a plan for us. A plan to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us hope and a future. Do you know this like you know your name? Are you so certain and secure in this that no matter whatever happens in your life, no matter what changes, what other people say, you know this is true. If you know this, it brings a great deal of peace to your life. I mean, just knowing this, I mean, I'm not saying that you heard about it, you know, you, you, you're acquainted with it, you know the words, but you know it like you know your name. If you have that kind of assurance, it will make an incredible difference in your life. Because even when things look dark, even when, you know, it just seems like there's no evidence to support the fact that God is working. If you know this, you can still have peace. 
you can still have assurance. You know, where in a real sense, we're talking about hope in difficult times. Despair and hopelessness doesn't come because you're facing a difficulty in your life. It comes because you think it will never change. No matter how dark the day, how dark the night, how difficult the circumstance, if you are absolutely assured that it will get better, you will always be upbeat. You always have hope. Any of us can deal with difficulty for a time. If we can see the end, if we know it's going to change, it's when we begin to think it will never change that we will succumb to hopelessness and despair. God has a plan for you. I love the saying that I heard someone say how God has a plan for every one of us. It doesn't matter what your life or how you came to be. There may be some accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. (laughs) Every child that is born, God has a purpose and a plan for their life. And you and I, that's true of you and I as well. God will work for the good. He'll take those events and situations in our life that are bad, that are filled with despair and grief and loss, and He'll add to them His love and mercy and grace and transform our pain into joy. Our weeping into laughter and our despair into hope. I almost feel like shouting just even just preaching this tonight. (laughs) That's what God does. He works for our good. In the authorized version it reads, all things work together for the good. And I like the way it's phrased there because every individual thing that happens to us in our life may not result in good all by itself. But everything taken together collectively results in good. That's what God promises. God takes all the events of our life and produces something good for them, out of them. God has a plan for your life. He hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on Him. But before we can experience all of this, there is one condition we must meet. And this is the last aspect of it. This is a conditional promise. The ideal of God working in all things for our good is not something that just anybody can experience. Yes, a promise, but there's a condition to this promise. It is for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. There's a condition to this. This is a relational condition. We must have a relationship with God. And we can only do that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If someone doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then this promise will not be true in their life. They will not experience it. But if you do, if you have surrendered your life to God, if you do have a relationship with Him, then all the benefits and privileges that this promise holds are yours to experience. You can have that peace and that joy. You can have that assurance. You can have that hope in difficult times. God truly does take care of His own. As I said at the outset, it doesn't mean that we won't experience disappointment in our lives. We will. Or that bad things won't happen to us or those that we love. It will. We may experience tragedy, loss. We may have things happen to us that we can't explain. God does not promise that. And we must never think that if something bad happens to us, that always means that God is punishing us. That's not true. But what we can know is that in the midst of our sorrow, God will be there working on our behalf to bring about some good. Our subject tonight is hope in difficult times. Here is a promise 
that if you will hold on to and believe and remember as you go through difficult things in your life, it will transform your despair into hope. It will fill your heart with joy and a peace that the world can't give and the world can't take away. It can make all the difference in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, that's what I had on my heart to share with you tonight, and I hope that's been helpful and encouraging to you. And I hope you will remember that this week and every week as you go about your day, that whatever it is you're facing now, keep trusting God. Keep believing in Him. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your word and thank you for just the encouragement we receive and the reminder that we can trust you. Thank you that you are a good God and that you really do have a plan for our lives and you want to do us good, Father. You're not trying to hurt us or harm us. You won't leave us or forsake us or let us down. And I just pray, Father, that you would forgive us for the times when we've doubted you. Uh, forgive us, dear God, for when we have thought of you like we think of men. And we know that men can disappoint us. They can change their word. They can change their mind. But God, you are a God that when you make a promise, you hold to it. And Father, I just pray that you'd help us to never, ever, ever doubt you. To trust you no matter what. And to just believe that you are working all things out for our good. God, you know everyone who's here tonight. You know each and every one of us intimately. You even know the very desires and the thoughts in our heart and our mind. Whatever it is that each person here needs, uh, whatever encouragement, whatever instruction, whatever admonition, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak into their situation right now. Father, there are no doubt many prayer requests on the lips of your people here. Things that we are seeking your help in or want you to change or do. And I just pray, Father, that your will would be done in all of our lives and help us to accept that. Help us not to demand of you that you do what we want, but, Father, that we surrender and submit and mold our will to your will, that your will would be done in our lives. Help us to please you in everything that we do and say. Father, we love you. We just bless your name tonight. And just be with us, Father, even after we leave this place and travel to our various destinations. Help us to arrive safely. And this week, God, help us to not only just worship you in our own hearts and minds and trust you, but help us to represent you well in this world, in our community, among those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.